Hey friends, welcome. My name is Joe. This is the Joe Martino Show. And today we're going to talk about part two of kids and sexual abuse. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the reaction to last week's episode. If you haven't listened to that episode, I'd probably encourage you to listen to that one before this one. And uh, then today we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some signs that your child might be being abused. We're going to talk about some peer pressure for parents. And then we're going to talk about what do we do as an adult. Just briefly, what do we do as an adult if we survive childhood sexual trauma? Let's kick it off. This is The Joe Martino Show. You're listening to The Joe Martino Show, a podcast dealing with all things emotional, relational, and human nature. Joe is a licensed counselor in the state of Michigan, specializing in relationship therapy. He is also the author of the book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. All advice offered in this episode is offered for entertainment and educational purposes only. Enjoy the show. All right, let's kick it off. Let's talk about uh, some emails. First of all, I got a lot of emails from over last week's episode uh, regarding abuse, regarding abuse amongst children. A, a lot of the emails, a lot of the communication was, you know, wow, I really didn't know that these numbers were what they are. There was also a very strong reaction to a comment about me not understanding uh, the, the our society's obsession with cousins. And some people wrote in, a friend of mine wrote in um, and, and kind of shared her experience, how she has had great experiences with her cousins growing up, and many of them are still her friends today. Uh, some people wrote in and talked about how they were abused by their cousins. Uh, some people wrote in and thought that I was out of touch um, and, and that I didn't really understand the dynamic of cousins, and it was sad, you know, blah, blah, blah. He, here's what I know. I hear a lot in the room that the first perpetrator in a person's life was their cousin. The second most common answer I hear is a step-sibling. But, but number one is cousins, hands down. And I actually track a lot of things like that. So, so for me to be able to say that to you, I actually have gone and looked at numbers in a spreadsheet on my computer. Uh, and then I go and look at the research. And there is some research that puts it as low as 10% that uh, um, cousin-on-cousin abuse is as low as 10%. Most of the research that I read puts it at 40%. So for every 10 children under the age of 12 who are abused, four of them are the perpetrators a cousin. And that number I feel is skewed because one of the things that they did was if the if the cousin was within one year, or excuse me, if the cousin was within two years, it got excluded. So it, that was considered peer on peer. But it didn't count for like six and four year olds or five and three year olds or seven and five year olds. And I'm not sure that I think a four-year-old can, can, in fact, I am sure, let me rephrase that, I am sure that a four-year-old cannot consent. I don't care if their cousin's six or 16. It's wrong at both ends. And, and you could argue, well, the six-year-old didn't have any intent. That may be true, and I'm not here to argue that with you, but it, it certainly is true that that's still abuse, that that is still something that is abusive. And I want to be clear on this, simply because I have a feeling about certain things in society does not mean that anyone that listens to this has to share that feeling with me. One of the more difficult things is the reality that when you're talking to a large group of people, there are a lot of people who allow their kids to do things with their cousins, and they're ignoring the gut feeling that they have. They're ignoring that niggling voice in the back of their head. And and, and I want to 
I want to make sure that I get that out to people. I want to make sure that I get, I don't know, I guess a lot of those people are looking for verbal permission to be okay with saying, no, I'm not going to allow my son, my daughter to sleep over at your house this weekend. And I don't need to have a reason. And so I want to give them verbal permission to say that. I want to be clear. I don't think that everybody who hangs out with their cousins is in trouble. I don't think everyone who sleeps over with their cousins is in trouble. I do think we all need to be called uh, with a clarion call to action of, of protecting our children, of, of being more aware of the danger. So often, so many people think that could never happen to me. It could never happen to my kids. It's not my nieces or nephews. And the reality is it probably could happen to your kids. That's the scary thing that we have to think about. We have to assimilate into our life. We have to ponder in how we respond to situations. The reality is there is danger there and we need to be aware of it. And that's really what this is about for me is I want to, I kind of want to just kind of make sure that we're all aware of like, hey, sexual abuse is happening a lot and it's happening a lot more than we're probably comfortable thinking about it. Not so that we live in fear, but so that we can be aware, so that we can look for the warning signs. I can't tell you how many parents I've sat with, and they're like, you know, they, they once they find out about the abuse, then they look back, and they're like, oh, so there was this sign, so this was going on, was that a sign? And and I want to get to that. I want to, okay, so here's a sign, here are some signs to look at. And then what do we do as, as adults if we've been abused as children? Because it does change your life. That's the hardest thing. It, it does change your life. There is a difference in how people view the world who have survived sexual assault and people who haven't been sexually assaulted. Okay, so let's talk about a few potential signs. One would be, we're talking younger children, there might be some problems controlling their bodily functions. At night, uh, they might start wetting the bed again, especially we're talking younger children uh, who have been potty trained for a while. Now they start wetting the bed. They might stop uh, going to the restroom uh, to, to vacate their bowels. Uh, they, they might try to control things through there. Now, I want to be really clear here. Not everything I bring up as a potential sign means that there is abuse. Uh, I once was talking to a mom who was convinced that her daughter had been abused and and, and the reason was because her daughter didn't want to go to the bathroom. Uh, there is studies, certainly there's plenty of research to show and suggest that uh, toilets can cause anxiety for children, and so they will hold their bowel movements for as long as they can. And this is really why, and this is what I encourage her to do, this is really why if you see any of these signs, I think my best advice to you would be have them evaluated by a professional. Have them talk to someone who is a professional, who knows the questions to ask, who knows how to ask the questions, who knows how to engage your child to discover if there is any abuse. And, and in that manner, then you can move forward in, in, you know, in, in either seeking treatment or dealing with whatever the anxiety-inducing issue is. Uh, as children age, so as they get a little bit older, they might not struggle with those things. You might have severe uh, mood swings. Again, this could be normal in teenage years, in your pre, even in your preteen years. But again, really uh, extreme mood swings could be a sign that there is some abuse going on somewhere. Uh, you could have uh, an, 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 an emotional outburst and or mood swing uh, connected to an individual person. And so maybe they're, you know, your child is, is, is the child that you know, and then when somebody else comes around, 
things escalate, things get different. And if you see that consistently, you might, I would encourage you, just take your child in to have a few uh, sessions. Explain what's going on. You know, when when so-and-so comes to my house, however you're related to them or not related to them, uh, my child does these things and I just want to get it investigated. Uh, If they start to withdraw, if they start to withdraw from you, now there is an age-appropriate withdrawal, withdrawing. I've talked about this in the past. When my children, when my girls hit about 12, 13, uh, they, they started to become more independent and they wanted to be more, you know, dad, please don't hug me where my friends can see it, that type of stuff. That can be very normal. Uh, what we're talking about here is a, is a strong withdrawal uh, where they just kind of cut off relationships. As they age into their teen years, uh, they might start to become, you might feel like they're obsessed with the idea of abandonment or people letting them down. They might act out in ways that are harmful on repeat. And anytime your child's doing something that is harmful to them, we want to get them help. And a lot of times the stigma here is, well, I'm not taking my child to a counselor and telling the counselor that they're doing these things that are, that are harmful. And I mean, when I say harmful, it could be literally self-harm, like they're literally cutting. It could be something where like they're controlling food or or they're controlling their relationships or they're they're just acting out. They're chasing one relationship after another romantic relationship. And, and there's some stigma there because you feel like you failed as a parent, uh, maybe. And, and I want to say that you, you may have failed in certain areas. In fact, you probably have, I think, as a parent of four. And I don't think, I know. As a parent of four, I can look back and be like, man, I can't believe I did that. But the reality is we live in a world where, where there's so many variables. Unless you lock them up in a 12 by 12 cell, which, by the way, is detrimental to their health, in, in, in your backyard somewhere, there's going to be just too many people who have access to your children who could harm them. Someday I'm going to tell the story about my oldest daughter in fourth grade and how I never I never saw it coming. It, I literally felt like a two by four across the head uh, when I realized what was going on. I never saw it coming. And so I can't encourage you enough as your children begin to experience these behaviors, if they mention something and then they say like, hey, uh, or they start to say something and then they stop and you're like, what's going on? Well, no, I can't tell that. There is a little bit of wizardry here. How much of that is just normal teenage things and potentially how much is the result of abuse? And so you're going to have to kind of walk that line and it's not easy. You know, no one ever said parenting is easy. It's really hard, uh, but we do need to be on the lookout. And I would encourage you to be on the lookout for any behaviors that are outside of your child's norm. Now, if you only have one child or, or your oldest is the one that can be a little bit different because, to be honest, there's not a lot of... One of the hard things about being a parent of only one child or a parent of of you know just your oldest is you don't necessarily have anything to compare your experience to. And so I know what a normal day looks like in my office because I have a bunch of days to compare it to. I never had that with my oldest daughter. I didn't know necessarily what to compare everything to. So there are things that I do differently with my second and third daughter that I did than I did with my first daughter because I have more more comparative points. I have more comparison points probably is the accurate word. And so anything that's out of their normal behavior, investigate it. Investigate it slowly. And here's one of the things that I always tell parents, expect resistance. Expect resistance. I, I had a client that I was talking to for a long time and it turned out that his brother had, had you know, engaged him in sexual activity 
uh, would not have met the legal criteria for sexual assault, but it certainly changed his life in a way that uh, he had not yet processed. And, you know, one of the things that that he lamented, now I'm talking to him and he's in his 30s, but, he, you know, his mom actually had asked him, like, hey, did anything happen to you? And so if he's in his 30s, you know, five years ago, this is when, when we weren't quite talking about it as much as we are today, or hopefully as we are today. And, and he's like, I just shot her down, I just shot her down, and eventually she gave up. And I see that as a, as a reminder story of just because your kids shoot you down doesn't mean that they don't have something to say to you. And so we need to engage that conversation. Vigilance is hard, and, and that's really what this is about. We need to be vigilant. We need to be as vigilant as we can. Be willing to offend people. I have offended people in the past because I'm like, no, my kids can't do that. Well, why? Because there's a, the potential for abuse. And, and they've taken it personal. Uh, when my oldest daughter was in sixth grade, um, she, there was a policy, you're not supposed to take phones with you uh, on a retreat. And I was like, well, then she can't go. And people got really mad. Like, you don't trust us. You're right. I don't. I, I'm not, I've not been entrusted with the responsibility of trusting you. I've been entrusted with the responsibility of protecting my children. And if you get mad in how I do that, that's okay. I understand. It's not personal for me to you. I promise. I can understand how it would feel personal, but it isn't. And so that's okay. You can be angry, but if my daughter can't have her phone on her, I'm she's not going because that's how I stay in touch with her. And that's what, and I've even had a friend who was a teacher who are not friends anymore because she's like, well, you're an idiot. Okay, I I appreciate that. Thank you for telling me your thoughts, and I understand. And, you know, invariably, well, what about this? What about that? I don't know. Do better. Like, actually then, in, 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 you know, do better. And people don't like that. I, there's just so much abuse running around. One of the things that's starting to drive me nuts is I keep hearing this gaslighting. And it is a legitimate term, but I'm hearing it used in ways that isn't legitimate. I'm hearing it used in manner... That it, I feel like it's like we're devaluing what is actually gaslighting and real abuse. And so one of the things that you have to run out is, does it really matter if somebody gets mad at you because you're doing what's best to what you think is best to protect your child? And if people want to call me paranoid, I'm okay with that. If people want to be like, well, you just, you, you know, you're paranoid because of your career. Okay. Uh, uh, all right. Fine. I'm, I'm not here to argue with you about that. I'm not here to, I, I'm okay with that. That's fine. And so... I want to talk to you as a parent uh, for a moment here on, on both sides of this. If your child hasn't been abused, but you're worried that it might, it could happen or you want to make sure that it doesn't happen, don't be afraid to draw boundaries that other people critique. Don't be afraid to draw boundaries that other people are critical of. Don't be afraid to draw boundaries that other people are like, well, that's too far. That's okay. That, that's totally okay. Draw boundaries, and if other people get mad, so be it. We often talk about peer pressure with kids, but we don't really talk much about peer pressure with adults. Are you reading the right books? Are you saying the right things? Are you cheering on the right movements? Are you doing all of the things that we think you should be doing? And if you're not, we'll cancel you. Uh, cancel culture is just peer pressure at mob mentality level. And, oh, Joe, it's crazy. You're, you're, you're talking crazy. People don't cancel other parents because they do all the time. They do all the time. If you think that parents don't have peer pressure to do things 
to let their kids do things that they don't want them to do with, without the fear that they're going to get kicked out of the group, you're not living in, in the real world. You're just not connected to this earth. And I don't know how much more forcefully I can say that. If you don't think that there are parents who are cut out of groups because they didn't let their kid go to the weekend sporting event or the weekend church event or the school sleepover or the eighth grade trip, you at best are mildly delusional, just not connected to reality. And, and it's real. It's there. Never underestimate the power of the, the unifying power of anger. Never underestimate the false unifying power of anger. And when you say, I'm not going to do this, I'm going to let my kid do this because I don't feel it's best for them, or I'm going to do this because I feel it's best for them, and someone else did something different or didn't do something different, they tend to get angry because we've, we've personalized everything in America. I am a huge co-sleeping advocate. And, and when we, our first daughter, we kept a crib in the house because I didn't want people to, to, to think anything about me. I was young and stupid. By the time my son came, there wasn't even a crib in the house. We, I just wasn't going to spend money on it. And I have what I believe are really good reasons for co-sleeping. I, I have some serious issues with the crib industry. And I get very upset when I hear, oh, co-sleeping is dangerous. Because it really isn't. But you don't have to co-sleep. However, I will say this. I have had people get really angry when I say, yeah, we co-sleep. And, and then suddenly they don't, want to, they, don't want to, they don't want to talk to me about counseling. They're, they're nothing. On the flip side of that, no, my kids can't go here wherever here is. People get mad because they let their kids go. And it's okay. Like, we don't have to agree on anything. This, that's not the point of this. The point of this is abuse is happening, and you do what you need to do to protect your kids. Well, we, we can't protect them from everything. You're right. So why do we put them in seatbelts? Get rid of the car seat. Can't protect them from everything. You do what you got to do to protect your kids. And if you think that there is a chance that is that they could get sexually abused and, and or assaulted in some way, and that chance does not, and, and it's too much for you, it's okay. This this idea that we have to have these these kids that have all these experiences, it's a really new experience to the world, and I'm not sure it's a good one. Now let's talk about parents. I want to talk to parents who maybe your kid has been sexually assaulted or you're wondering if your child has been sexually assaulted and you feel like you failed. Here's the thing. It's not your fault. I want to be really clear on this. It's not your fault. If someone has sexually assaulted your child, this is not on you. It's on the, the, the person who assaulted your child. And the pain that your child has, I know we all want to protect our kids from pain, and I know that we, we, we can't, and I know that knowing those two things doesn't make it any easier when our child experiences pain. That we still struggle with the pain of, of our child being in pain. But I want to be clear, this is, not, this is not your fault. You didn't do it. Whoever did it is the person. It's their fault. It's not your child's fault. It's not your ex's fault. It's not your spouse's fault. It's whoever did it. It's, it's their fault. It's their, their, they are the person that abused them. And I would encourage you to get therapy because working through the guilt of that 
is very difficult. And a, and a lot of my, my religious friends are like, well, I just give it to Jesus. That is literal horse droppings. It's just horse droppings. That's like somebody saying, well, I have cancer, but hey, I'm not going to go get treated because I'm just giving it to Jesus. It's horse droppings. It just... I'm a little fired up this morning. I listened to a podcast that was just redonkulous. Not on this topic. It does kind of make me want to write a book, though. Not in response to the podcast, but it's a book I've been kicking around with my wife for years. And back back to the parents, your child's been sexually assaulted. I want you to know that it's not your fault. Get healing, get therapy, engage your child, express your emotions, talk about your feelings, name your emotions. And, and, and work on looking at ways that you can improve as a parent, a parent who now carries a wound, the wound of your child being wounded, it's okay. Feel free to engage that. Engage the idea that you have a wound and you'll have a wound for the rest of your life. And you can find healing. It's not your fault. It's your responsibility to heal, but it's not your fault that it happened. And then lastly, in the, in the last few minutes here, I want to talk about or I'm sorry, I want to talk to the people who are adult survivors of childhood sexual assault. I will also say to you, it's not your fault. 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 And many of the things in your life that frustrate you can probably be tied to that event or those events. In order to find healing, you're going to have to go back and process it. You're going to have to look at how it connects to the things that you do in your life that frustrate you. Uh, if you are in a loving, healthy relationship and sexual activity with your spouse is a meh, you might have had sexual assault in your past because your body copes with the trauma. Your body finds ways to soothe the trauma. And most of those ways start out with a functional payoff. That functional payoff then becomes something that is painful and often becomes dysfunctional. It often brings harm and hurt. And, and so many people that I've worked with uh, walked alongside in the therapy room. They have they've come to me and they're like, I do this and I don't know why. And there's this behavior that I have. And, and we start talking about sexual assault in trauma. And I can't tell you how many times I've said to somebody, did someone assault you? No, 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 no. Did someone touch you? No, 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 no. And then weeks, days, weeks, months later, sometimes even one time, uh, almost a year later, hey, you remember when you asked me if I had ever been touched or assaulted? And I said, no. Yeah, I remember. Well, well the truth is I was. And, and so, you know, here's the thing. It's, it's such a topic when you're sexually assaulted, there's so much shame that comes with it. And people walk around with, with so much shame. And often what we see perpetrated to us is only two extremes. And, and, and a lot of my clients, they're like, I don't want to be either one of those extremes. And I often tell them, well, you don't have to be. You don't have to be the person shouting at people driving by, which, which is not, you, you know, more of a meta, it's more of a metaphor than reality, but people walking by. And, and then there's also uh, the people who just pretend it didn't happen. They act like it never happened. And, and that's not helpful either. 
And so find a therapist that you trust. Uh, I don't know where, you know, all my listeners live. I know here in the Grand Rapids area, we, we work really hard to make therapy affordable for everyone. Uh, we have interns that you can see uh, for, for almost nothing, for $20 a week. Or if you can't afford that, we'll, we'll often do it for free. Uh, we like for people to pay a little bit, mostly because studies show that paying a little bit actually has better outcomes for therapy. Uh, but, but I just, I've got to say this, if you're an adult who survived childhood sexual trauma, it's not your fault. And most of the things in your life that drive you crazy that you don't like about you are probably somehow connected to those events. And, and sometimes they're directly, sometimes it's tangentially, but, but you have to, you're going to have to take responsibility for reaching out to someone and getting the help that that is necessary for healing and it can be very difficult to say i need help it can be very hard to say i need help it can be very because you're you could be afraid like maybe the person who assaulted you is in your family and so it, you're afraid it'll come out i got to tell you i want to make sure that everyone knows this what you talk about with your counselor will not come out unless there's a minor or in the state of michigan an elder who is at risk uh, unless you're considering self-harm unless you're considering homicide or if you're considering uh you know, that type of thing, then we have to talk about that. But if you, you come in and you're like, hey, when I was 12, my neighbor did this. Uh, I, I hear a lot of my brother, you know, my brother did this. It's not your fault. And when you come in and say that, unless that, you know, your brother was 15 and you were 14 and he's 35 now, unless we have reason to believe there's a danger to a child now, we, we don't report that. What we do, though, is we try to walk with you from wherever you're at to a place of healing and wholeness. That's where I want to land today. If this has happened in your family, if this has come inside your family, if this has happened to someone you love or to you or to one of your children, I want you to know that there is healing and wholeness available. And it doesn't have to be our agency. Find someone. If you, if you have questions about what to look for in a therapist, email me. I'll, I'll do my best to answer you, give you my thoughts. There is hope, healing, and wholeness. What there also is, and I have to be honest about this with, with anyone I talk to ever, is there's also pain. But you're not avoiding the pain. No matter what, you're not avoiding the pain. For the vast majority of people in this world, there is no path forward without pain. So we have to choose redemptive pain. We have to choose pain that brings redemption. All right, so not a easy topic, not a light topic, a heavy topic that we talk about, or whenever we talk about it, it is a heavy topic. If you have questions, please feel free to email me. I always appreciate emails, even when people like when, when people disagree with me. I don't respond to everybody. Like last week, there was a lot of emails. I just don't, I don't, I'm sorry. I can't take the time to respond to everyone. But I want you to know I appreciate your emails. I love that you email in. Uh, and I try to address the questions that come in as best I can, usually back through the next episode or two episodes down the road or whatever that looks like. All right, if you like this ep episode, please share it with your friends. Uh, that is the best form of advertising that I can have. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend. And hey, give us that rating in your podcast store. Until next time, change possible.